1: Podcast episode, excuse me. i have been writing a whole bunch. Talk about writing again. But no, this is this in this audio program. Uh, we are going to be discussing a whole bunch of the a whole bunch of different tips that we use uh, and have come up with over the years or have uh, been taught over the years to basically speed projects up, make sure we don't waste time and hit those deadlines. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, which is all new, by the way been renovated heavily, bunch of new channels, go check it out, or share this uh, show with your friends. So let's, I think we just dive right in here. So this is a me heavy episode. I wrote up these notes. Uh, the first one here, the first tip is do not, or don't pigeonhole your tool set. So many developers will take a hard stance on the tools that they're willing to use. And sometimes these stances are backed up by good reasons, of course, like technical limitations. But oftentimes they're solely based on preferences or even personal biases. So, you know, no-code tools is one big one, kind of the elephant in the room at this point, and that that is one that is one such bias in which many developers refuse to touch them because they're quote unquote not real coding, among an, another spread, if you will, of <laughs> of reasons. I was going to get into it, but I'm sure it'll get ranty. So it, it, instead. People will spend a heck of a lot of time developing a custom solution that may indeed be better, but will take a long time to create. So you might think, hey, I'm not going to use this no code tool due to one of your biases, but maybe one of your reasons is actually a technical one. And you're thinking, you know, I can make something better. But you got to consider that time. And this is, of course, the focus of this episode is the deadline is, you know, deadlines coming up. Are you really going to reinvent the wheel over and over again? So if you are one of these people that refuse to use certain tools for, let's just say, no good reason or for, you know, for a bias reason or a preference reason, you know, this is kind of the definition or really is the definition of pigeonholing your tool set because you're stuck in your ways and you refuse to move on to something else even if it would help you. By being open to any tool, in an appropriate situation, of course, you open yourself up for success. So some clients will prefer a specific tool like WordPress, for example. And if you refuse, that's a missed opportunity, right? You missed out on that money, you missed out on that project. Maybe you refuse no code because again, it's not real coding. And that can make you miss your deadline. You might lose your contract, might get in trouble, whatever. And only using a single tool set can force you to engineer solutions that are not ideal for the situation. If React, and this is a made-up situation, but if React is bad at rendering photo galleries, but you refuse to use anything else, are you really using the correct tool for the job? Why are you forcing it to do something that it's not designed for? So not only are you, you know, adding time to your work by pigeonholing your tool set, you're also missing out on some, let's say some success, like I mentioned, you could be missing out on jobs, missing out on certain, uh, missing out on certain opportunities on certain teams, because they might use WordPress, you don't like that. So by pigeonholing your tool set, you're doing, you know, a lot more than just potentially missing your deadline. You're also almost refusing or Closing doors really is what you could be doing by not being open to trying or using a new tool.
2: This really hits home for me right now um, because I'm just going to tell the whole story right now. We're in the process in one of the contracts that I'm working on deciding between a no-code, quote-unquote, tool called Magento, which is an e-commerce platform. Uh, for the whole, you know, front end, back end, every, the whole experience as a monolithic application, let's say, or going the headless approach where we just use Magento for the e-commerce side. So just the checkout process and managing all of the order confirmations, order processing, all that stuff and use something like, uh, Next.js, like a a React based solution on the front end for managing the marketing page, the shop, et cetera, et cetera, and just connecting to the Magento instance through APIs. Now, both solutions are doable. Both solutions are possible. But it's this situation where, like, I don't know if I'm pigeonholing myself by going into just a pure Magento solution or a a headless solution. Uh, My preference is, and this is where my bias comes in and where this exact argument comes in, is always going to be headless. Right. My preference is I want to do it so that I have control of the code. I don't want to have to put in snippets of JavaScript into a no code editor uh, and that, you know, manage that if if needed. But the problem is, and this is this is where like this solution is important and where you need to let go of your biases, is what is the purpose of the site? If there's a direct line of communication down from the top telling you that, Hey, we need this site to just work. We need it to be up fast. We need it to, you know, sell the product and be easily editable by the staff, by the content team or marketing teams. Then it becomes a very easy solution. Like, right. Like it, you should go with a monolithic. Magento solution, the, the one that's a little bit more clunky to edit, the one that's a little bit more clunky to work with in code, but the one that's a lot easier to set up and maintain in terms of content editing and stuff like that. Right. It's the solution that I don't want to go with myself, but I have said many times during this process that like, if we have this need, this like, you know, central need of, Hey, let's have our site be consistent and easy to maintain then this is the solution that we need to go with, regardless of anyone's biases. So this is where it's really difficult as a developer, as someone that's especially comfortable in the coding side of things, to make that decision and to make that suggestion. But it needs to also come from a higher level as well down. You need to gather the requirements of what the site needs to be like, what the basic bones of the site need to be from your client or from your, you know, or the organization that you're working for and make a decision based on those requirements, not based fully on your biases. Your biases will play a role regardless because that's what you're more comfortable with. Sometimes, you know, if you're only a React developer and you never touch PHP, you know, the the solution there is like, you might need to hire a PHP developer. So that might mean more overhead. So all of that has to come into play. But regardless of that, you need to find that balance with like these are the requirements, this is the tool that best fits that. The, the minimum viable product tool as well. Because if WordPress can do it, that I, you know, for instance, if you're doing a blog and WordPress is enough to get you from point A to point B, that might be the way to go. No matter how much you want to build that Svelte kit or Vue.js, next site, doesn't matter. It's really important to take that require the requirements of the project deeply into consideration when choosing your tool set.
1: That that is one of the difficult things, obviously, especially when you're working for somebody else and the project goals are almost against your own bias or your own preference. Because if you're making your own portfolio site and you could spin that thing up really quick in WordPress and you don't like WordPress for whatever reason, And you decide, no, I'm just gonna make a full custom solution in vanilla or in React or Vue, it doesn't matter. You can sort of do that with minimal consequence other than you're using your own time. Um, but when you're when it comes to working with a team and working with working with a team and working with a big project that needs to be up, that is revenue generating, typically e-commerce that is revenue generating, that is critical to the company's mission of let's say profit, you know, just to get it right down to the metal then you almost need to prioritize or you should prioritize the goals of the project over any sort of personal bias. Now, obviously there comes a point too where sometimes you're not pigeonholed by bias. Sometimes you're pigeonholed by skill. So if you're working on a project and the number one tool based on the objectives of that project, the the fastest tool, the cheapest tool, whatever, ends up being Webflow. But you do not know anything about Webflow and you'd have to spin up on it. Or maybe you're just completely unaware that Webflow exists and you decide to do it in React. The reason why I bring this up is that you're not doing the ideal solution, but at the end of the day, nothing is really the ideal solutions. There's really the ideal solution, excuse me. Everything has something, what Mike and I say, everything has something dumb to it. So, like, Webflow will have stupid things that we don't like. You know, weird things like I can't underline text sometimes and stuff like that in the editor. Um, I think it was underlined. It might have been italic. I'm pretty sure it was underlined. Um, there's just weird things like that in Webflow, but there's also weird things in everything. There's weird things in Wix, in Squarespace, in React, in Vue, in Vanilla. Just strange things that you're like, well, this is a shortcoming. And so, as projects evolve and as you make up projects, though there is no ideal solution, what you, what you do need to do is choose the best solution for the situation, which includes, to bring it back to your skills, your skills. Maybe Webflow is the fastest and you would be able to make it in Webflow in five days and React, for whatever reason, is going to take seven days. But you're going to take three days to spin up in Webflow. Then your your ideal solution, based on your skill set at that time, is indeed react because you're saving a day if not more depending on how quickly you can get it out there you're not spinning up because as we all know we estimate oh you know it'll take two days to spin this up or spin myself up in terms of learning what I'm, what i'm supposed to do and it ends up taking three days four days five days because there's a bunch of stuff that we weren't unaware of before we got in there so there is no ideal solution you're just trying to choose the best solution. At the end of the day, and the, the the goal here when I say don't pigeonhole your tools is not to learn absolutely everything. Of course not, because Mike and I have totally different skill sets. Like Mike can run around and do Vue and React and this and that. I can do like a tiny bit of Svelte, but because, as I mentioned a 100 times that I work with a lot of small and medium businesses, I use a lot of website builders or a lot of uh, sort of pre-existing platforms like a WordPress, like a Webflow, um, or even just really small businesses that I just make up in vanilla JS. So my skills are going to lend themselves to choosing one of those tools and I'm going to – you know, I'm going to make a decision based on those three or four different tools that I have in my tool set. Whereas Mike is going to choose something else and of course both of our choice is – is rooted in what our skills are but also in our own biases. Then – biases or biases? Whatever. But our own preferences, let's say. There is like – This is not a reason to run out and learn, like, 40 different skills because the project I make and the project Mike makes is still going to finish, is still going to get done, is still going to complete the goal, hopefully. And if if it doesn't, if I'm completely outmatched, you know, I can go to a developer, whether it be Mike or someone else, and be like, hey, I need this thing done in – like, I need this this goal met. What do you recommend? And then they come in with their own tool set. So don't be, you know, pigeonholing your tool set just because, just because, if you will. But keep in mind that we can't all know everything. And so, you know, do reach out if you need to. Don't just be like, I'm not going to reach out to any Webflow devs, or I'm not going to reach out to any no-code guys, or I'm not going to do this because, you know, that's not real. And I'm going to use this really clunky solution just because. You know, no, like, you know, expand your tool set, hire experts as you need to. And the whole point is is just to be open to either learning it yourself, hiring somebody else, or acknowledging that there's a better solution out there, and maybe someone else should do this part of the job, and you'll do this other part of the job, is the whole point. At the end of the day, we're trying to reach the project's goals in the most efficient and the most in the best way possible for that per, for that particular project. Next thing here is. Standardization. So standardize your tools, your setup and your procedures. So this tip, you know, might sound counterintuitive to the don't pigeonhole your tool set point, but it is aimed at making your individual pieces of tooling efficient so that when you choose one, you aren't starting at square one each and every time. So what do I mean by this? Well, what I mean is, is that if you find yourself doing a particular process, or using a certain tool repeatedly, then it's time to think about making it more efficient. One example might be hosting for your clients. If your goal is to have them all hosted by you, you want to get paid on an ongoing basis for taking charge of their hosting situation, and you would like to be their point of contact for support, but you've been spinning up individual accounts for each of them, that's going to start getting cumbersome. You're going to some hosting provider, probably a shared hosting provider, and you're just buying them each individual accounts, you know, how are you managing those accounts? How are you getting into them? They're all over the place. Maybe you're even going across multiple different hosting platforms, hosting services. So maybe it's time that you purchase reseller hosting. You can then set up standardized plans, say like a bronze, a silver, and a gold. You can typically name them whatever you want. And those plans will come with a certain amount of bandwidth, sort of amount of space and web space and all kinds of stuff. And then you sell those plans at set prices and have an easy to set up process for each of your clients so that you're spending less time floundering, trying to find which, which hosting provider to go with, what, what plan to go with. You know your plans. You know what to sell them. And maybe you even build right on that server and then only go public later. So this standardizes the hosting. And this standardizes this this thing that your your goal is like you want to be a hosting provider. Perfect. Then standardize it so that you literally go in, type in their their name, type in their username. Like for for uh some of the servers we used, it's literally type in their username, type in their password, and I think their contact information, which I believe is actually optional, and then type in their their domain and you, you choose a plan, whatever you name them. You can name it tier one, tier two, tier three, you can name it bronze, silver, gold, select a plan, and that's it. Like now that's set up. Now you can go into that cPanel or whatever. And then you can, whatever controlled platform you have, you go in there and that's it. Like go in there and you work right there and it's already done. It's already set up for you. Another big example that we all do, hopefully, is backups. So when are you going to do backups? How are you going to do backups? Answer these questions, right? What's the naming scheme for your backup folders? Are the backups automated? If you're doing backups constantly and you need it to be nightly, are you really going to want to log in every night and do them? So you should automate them. Okay. But then what's the naming scheme so that if somebody says, Hey, I accidentally deleted a file on Wednesday. Can you help me out? Can you go find that file easily? So what's the naming scheme? Does the naming scheme include the date? Does it include, or does it even need the time? How is the date formatted? Cause I know in Canada, It's a different date format than it is in America than it is in other countries as well. Obviously, it's like year for here. I believe it's year, year, month, day. And in America, it's a different order. And I think there's actually even a variance here in Canada. I'm not sure. But we use year, month, day so that the folders, when you sort them by name, automatically order themselves so that it's super easy to find see like there that's a standardization technique so that if mike ever asked me hey when was this backup folder taken he can literally just look at the folder name and if he's unsure what what the format is he can just ask me and i could be like oh it's year month day stuff like that and then the naming scheme for the backups like um you know is the is there a folder like let's say you take a backup for somebody is there a folder that contains all their folders Um, is, do you have, are you, are you saving it on some sort of, uh, NAS, which is network attached storage, all this stuff so that it's easily accessible. You know where it is, you know how to get there, you know how to get it to people that you need to get it to, you know, that it's protected, you know, that it's, you know, then the thing goes on and on and on. Backups are something that should be standardized and figured out, and it can take a little while to figure them out, but it should be something that you just know what to do and you just do it. And this actually leads to nicely to a second point I have in this is that is a point about automation. So once you do a few do a task, excuse me, a few times, you'll start noticing inefficiencies in that process. And those inefficiencies can be cut or maybe they can be modified to make the process faster. And ideally, you'll make things such as that they can be easily modified. So Say so taking the steps to say you know let's say you have a you, know, you make your RSS you're, you're making your RSS feed power a notification on Discord instead of you manually manually going into Discord ser- going into your Discord server each week to announce that like we do that we, there's a new podcast out or there's a new blog post available instead of you remembering oh I have to do that now you're late. You know, like, why? Like, why are you doing that? Automate that. There's inefficiencies there. Maybe you do it the first couple of times to get a feel and you, you know, you figure out what format you want for your post, but then let a bot do it. And you can always, you can always mess around with the bot. I know a lot of people will struggle, let's say, to give up control and be like, I don't want to automate it. You know, like I want to do it. I want to be in control. But that's the thing is like the one day that you're sick, the one day you're not there, the one day you forget. Now there's a hole there, and it's not the end of the world if you miss a podcast post. I'm sure we have. If we if you miss something, but it, you know it does suck, and so it 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 just makes sense. It just makes sense to me to automate these little things, and you can always turn that automation off, on, or modify it. And even when a task takes a short amount of time, and you might think, oh, you know, like all I'm doing is like quickly posting a link, like it doesn't really matter. It's actually occupying a lot more time in your brain than you think because you're remembering to do it. You're thinking about it at random more than likely, et cetera, et cetera. You might be thinking about it after. Well, you know, should I modify that, this and that? But when it's automated, a lot of that is alleviated, or at least for me, it's done automatically. I can deal with other things, and I only check on it occasionally to make sure it's still working. That's it. I don't think about our podcast notifications that go out on Discord. We had to change it over uh, at one point because we, we like I said, renovated our Discord server. So I had to like get a bot up and running. And so that occupied some time in my mind to make sure that it's posting. It wasn't okay. Do a little maintenance, figure that out, get that working. Okay, great. It's working. Great. Hooray. Okay. Now it's working. I don't even think about it anymore. And maybe, you know, it, we just did it. So maybe I'll check on it for a couple weeks and then it'll be completely out of mind and I'll forget. It was to the point where our old podcast notifications, which were going for more than a year, I believe, I forgot what service we used. (laughs) I just – I didn't even – I completely forgot. I was like, oh, well, I know it's one of these two or three services, but like which one did we use? Did we use like a a webhook through IFTTT? Did we use Zapier? Like what what do we – like, what did we use? So, you know, automating is a really big point. There's a really big part of making your task more efficient and allowing you to quickly complete things and hit those deadlines.
2: I like this one and – I kind of approach it a little bit differently as well. I think there's certain parts of at least what I do uh, that are always going to be unstandard or at least continually evolve where I can't standardize them. Like the actual coding part of what I do, a lot of the tasks I get assigned are very random. Most of them are something that I've never done before, stuff like that. Stuff like I can't standardize for the most part. I either have to learn a new framework, learn a new, you know, API, learn something new, that stuff is out of my reach, out of my control, at least. So I leave that to be kind of the chaos that it is. But for the most part, I actually like to do that stuff. So I don't have a need to standardize it as much. What I like to kind of have an indicator that something needs to be standardized is stuff that I don't particularly like to do. Stuff like invoicing. I don't like invoicing. That stuff is boring. Bookkeeping. I hate bookkeeping. That stuff is boring. Any sort of, like Matt said, backups, maintenance of the computer system, uh, task management, um, like scheduling meetings and stuff like that. Like stuff outside of custom, like problem solving in code, that's the stuff that I reach to standardize because that stuff is going to maintain its structure. Across any task, essentially that I'm going to be doing, across any job that I get, across any contract that I get, that stuff ma- maintains everything else changes, like what technology I'm using and stuff like that. I can't standardize that. And I, and I go by the approach that Matt said that don't pigeonhole your tool set for the rest of it. But anything that I can, I know that I can control across different tasks is what I reach to standardize. And it helps with especially hitting your deadlines in the sense that like i i have an idea of how long those parts are going to take so i can estimate those parts out so i know the communication stuff is going to take a certain amount of time i know that the project setup is going to take a certain amount of time i know that the backups are going to take a certain amount of time stuff like that the rest of it is the, the the difficult part to estimate but at least i have something to go on because i've standardized on like multiple parts of the workflow, the parts that A, I don't like to do, and B, I can actually standardize.
1: And actually, Mike, another thing that you can do is if you don't like a task specifically, this is what I do, is sometimes there's things that you need to do in the automation. So let's say, for example, like you need to check on those backups. Well, you can actually automate that part too. So you can, to an extent, you can automate, uh, you can automate like a bot to email you. When the backup is done. And let's say, you know, let's say it fails every now and then or something. It's going to like a remote system and, you know, it fails every now and then. But you have like a standard in your head where you're like, okay, you know, it's going to back up every night. And if it fails twice in a row, I need to take a manual backup. You don't want to think about that though. So you can set up an email that lets you know, Hey, what was the status of that job? Did it, did it get sent or did it, did the backup work? And if the backup did work, then great. Then it worked. I don't need to think about it. Oh, it failed. Okay. Now, you know, keep that in mind. Now, now tomorrow, if it fails, I got to do that manual backup. If it fails tomorrow now I can do it. And you're not constantly thinking about it. You just get that email. You just in the morning or whatever, you check it. Oh, it worked good. And you just that's it. It's over. Like, that's the end of your thought. So like you can even I, I find those particular little bits of automation to be very, very helpful when it comes to things you don't want to do, because sometimes there are manual interventions, but it's manual interventions usually after like a check. It's like, oh, I need to check if this is running OK. Uh, You know, it is OK. It's like, why did you even have to think about that? Why don't you have a system that checks if it's running OK, sends you some sort of notification. If it's not running OK, then you know you need to get in there type of thing. And IT systems obviously do this all the time where they check things. Maybe they'll send an email out or like check the connection to the server or like whatever on a certain interval or however the however that particular task needs to be checked or how often that, that task needs to be checked. And then that's how they handle that, so that IT isn't you know spending all their time being like, is that database okay? Is that okay? Is this okay? Is this you know it you know it starts getting out of control here. (laughs) So you have like an automated you have an automated tasks that are like backing things up and like moving things around, and then you have an automated monitoring system as another layer, and then and then there's you, (laughs) so you can you know really get into automation, and automation is obviously and is becoming like a really big part of businesses, and we actually know somebody. Uh, that does automation pretty well full time. And actually, I'd, I'd like to have him on the show. Maybe I can convince him to come on the show now that we've talked about this. Um, but the next thing here that we talked about time and time and time and time again is do not overshare. Don't overshare. So sometimes we finish something small in the grand scheme of a project and we're really proud of it. Maybe it's like, you know, a really efficient custom slider that took you a few days. OK, but in reality, it's just one component on one page. So despite this, some of us will feel the need to share this progress since we are proud of it and hoping that they're kind of hoping that like the client will kind of give you like a pat on the back for like a job well done so far. But then they start to ask for changes right away. Now, this is not only annoying because now you're spending even more time on the slider that you thought was complete, but now it's slowing down progress in other areas because obviously you're being pulled back into the slider and not working on the second component on the page. So This not only hurts your productivity, but it also hurts your pride a little bit as you thought you know, what you had done was really cool and now it's kind of being torn apart by the client. Ultimately, this sort of thing can be mitigated by not oversharing. So if you choose milestones in a project where it will be shown to clients and have those milestones be true milestones in the project, it'll help solve this problem. So for example, let's say the blogging CMS is set up and working alongside the web design on it or maybe their entire e-commerce store is set up with products and is now working with their payment partner. This gives your client more to focus on and less to zoom in on, which typically gives you a a more broad, broad feedback cycle. They're looking at everything, looking at the whole store, they're looking at the whole blog. This is a far cry from them zooming in and giving you feedback on that one slider. I'd like the I'd like the navigation things moved. Why are they dots and not squares? And, you know, why is it slow and all this stuff? This more broad feedback is almost always better because it is typically aimed at the procedure overall, the procedure that the customer, like their customer, the website user is going to going to see. They're going to start giving you feedback on things like reducing the amount of steps for e-commerce customers. Hey, why is there another page here? You know? Let's cut this down. Let's get this down to two clicks. Or hey, this this page kind of loads a little slow. Do you notice that? Oh, and you can go in and you know do some do some efficiency stuff. Or you know instead of critiquing every single element on a page, like your sliders, transition speed, the amount of slides, the nav arrow, this and that, they're kind of like a user at this point where they're not see- like they're seeing something that's still in progress, but they're seeing almost like closer to the user to what their clients to what those website users are going to see, and then. They'll be able to say, hey, you know, this is kind of messed up, right? This is kind of messed up. And, and of course, this doesn't work for every client. Some clients do go in and zoom in to every single thing. But in our experience, giving somebody, you know, a big milestone to look at results in just way better feedback. And it's a lot more efficient for you. And generally, you're done a big portion of the project as well, uninterrupted. So you get that done. And now you can move on to the next thing or, you know, wait for the the feedback as as the project outline calls for.
2: I think a lot of this is also part of like not over technical, not technically explaining everything that you've done as well. So instead of, you know, explaining, hey, I use this technology here and I'm going to use this technology here, making it very general, like, hey, look at this page. It's working now very much in human language the technology that you use if you overshare that could cause so much confusion to the point where they a client could force you to try to use a technology they understand so for instance if you are very familiar with headless CMS's right like so you're really good at building custom websites on Next.js and a headless CMS regardless of if it's uh, you know appropriate for the project or not we talked about that But the client only knows WordPress. And if you start talking about this complex stuff, even though you can do it really quickly and really efficiently, the client will be like, no, no, no. I don't want any of that mumbo jumbo. I just want to go in like I did with my restaurant's WordPress site and edit the menu. Right. And then they could just start fighting you on it. Where if you do it the other way of just being like, I'm going to create a WordPress like experience for you and you'll be able to edit your menu without telling them how you're going to do it. They won't care. They don't know what the difference is between the WordPress and non-WordPress site, as long as it works similarly and you can show them how it works. At the end of the day, you don't care. So you need to take over not oversharing in multiple levels. Obviously, don't keep your client in the dark about every decision that you're making, but also make sure that you're only giving them the information that is relevant to the success of the project. If that makes sense, the success of the project could vary from being completed on a deadline to, you know, we need to get, we we need to be able to sell X amount of products a week to we need to have this website so that people can find you on Google, whatever the success of the project is to the client is the language that you should be talking to them in. That's it. You don't need to overcomplicate it. You don't need to overshare on top of it because they're most likely too busy to care They hired you to do all the oversharing to yourself.
1: You know, that's a really good point because we have an example of this happening to us where we had uh, an opportunity to do uh, like a fairly large project. This was years and years and years ago. Um, And it wasn't like a large project in terms of budget or anything, but it was large in terms of standing. And what ended up happening was I like when we went through, I was trying to explain to them because they were like, hey, we want to use WordPress, this and that. And so I tried to explain to them, hey, if you use WordPress, that's totally fine. I would recommend a page builder slash a theme builder so we can easily go in and do this or I can build you a theme even custom wise. But those options are more expensive. We can go the template route, but if we do the template route, things are, are pretty rigid. You know, it's kind of hard to change them. Like you can change them, but with this budget, like I'm not going to be diving in and fixing this thing. And then you got to keep the thing up to date and, you know, there's maintenance involved. So like, these are my two options. And the way I guess I presented it, cause like we had talked for a while was they even kind of mentioned like, Hey, it kind of sounds like you don't know how to change things at WordPress. I'm like, no, no. Like what I'm trying to tell you is at this budget, I recommend a template, but I want to be very clear that the template you choose has to be the template you want because things are very rigid. And I think that's kind of where things kind of went a little sour and then we didn't end up doing it, unfortunately, but you know, it kind of lesson learned. And now when I talk about it, I still say that because it still needs to be said, but I say it at a very broad spectrum. I say something like, uh, you know, Hey, you know, if we choose a template, it's, it's a little difficult to, ch- to make changes and, you know, requires quite a few hours sometimes to dive into some of these pieces. Um, So just to let you know on labor cost or something like that, like really brief and like, make sure that I'm trying, I'm, talking directly to their goals. You know, they're trying to keep it in a budget. They're trying to keep it, you know, easy to edit. And so I'm saying like, hey, you know, instead of me explaining why a template's hard to change, I'm just like, hey, templates are pretty rigid and they're going to be expensive to change. So whatever, because like you could spend hours in there <laughs> trying to get a template to, to upgrade, right? And then the very next project we had, you know, same sort of question rose up. We ended up scoring that project because I adjusted the amount that I shared. Just said, this is rigid, this is not, this is more expensive, this is not. You know, really tailoring it to what the customer cares about. Because in Mike's example with the changing the menu, the person's trying to make food and they're trying to sell that food. They're not in it to be like, this is the latest in API technology. Like they don't, you know what I mean? Like they're they're in there and they might be like, man, I don't, you know, I kind of like the WordPress login a little better. But most people are going to be like, whatever, you know, they get used to it and they just move on and they just, they can, they can list their pizzas, they can list their fries and they can list the prices and they don't care after that, right? Once Once they figure it out, they don't care after that. This actually leads nicely into, especially with the milestone comments from before is phases. So do projects in phases. So some projects are very large and we've mentioned this a bunch of times on this show and this, you know. It's not only just spanning a lot of work, but it's also a big scope. It might reach across multiple departments, multiple expertise. These projects can get really big. It's not just about you making a a UI and maybe configuring a CMS. It could be, oh my God, we need a content plan. Oh, there's legal ramifications because this is some sort of medical site or this is some sort of construction site and it needs to have certain licenses listed or it needs to have certain sources listed. We worked on um an auto automobile industry site once where it needed to have a think a ticket number or something legally and stuff like this. So this is, you know, starting to the scope is starting to get bigger because you're like, oh, I need to know that. You know, someone needs to tell me that because you're not an automobile expert. You're not a cooking expert. You're not whatever. So you need to know all that. Maybe your country requires the food inspector grade to be put on the website. Maybe that's a thing. I don't know. And like, would you know that? Maybe not. So you, this, the scopes can get really big. And those are just a couple simple examples. So with so many, say, cooks in the kitchen, if you will, it can easily become a situation where you work for a little while and then you wait for approval. So you work for like a little bit. You just do a little thing. And then you wait for approvals from the team. And there's so many cooks in that kitchen that the approvals never show up. Or they come super late. And these type of situations call for breaking the project into phases, is what I'd recommend. So phases, these phases should be based upon specific milestones to tie it into that last thing, specific milestones and completed in the order of what makes sense and or what is most important to the client. So for example, an e-commerce shop maybe is the most important. Get this up and running, make sure the payments are working. Then they can do marketing or maybe marketing is the main thing because the product's not out yet. So you do marketing, and then you do the e-commerce shop. Phases like this help organize projects into what matters and what doesn't. And it gives administrative teams, typically the people that are approving, which are like managers and directors and those type of things, it gives them a single scope to zoom in on and approve instead of floundering in a sea of options, which is the entire project. You don't want these people that are not technical, generally to be like, well, you know, we got the e-commerce shop. We got the marketing side. What about the contact form? Do we need a form? Should we list the email? Hang on a second. What's that nav bar doing? Should it be vertical? Should it be horizontal? let's do this. How about the footer? Well, like, do we want them to have directions? Do they want, do we want them to come here? Do we want them to order online? Well, hang on. Do we want them to order here primarily or do we want them to order on Uber Eats? Do we want them to order on DoorDash? Well, hang on. What about skip the dishes? Well, okay. Actually, let's, let's, let's loop back and Do we, do we tell them our origin story? Do they care? Do we want that there? Do we need a blog? Do we need to have niche site? Like this is, you know, this is where people will, this is where the too many cooks in the kitchen and it just becomes this snowball of like, uh, I don't know. (laughs) And nobody knows. And then nothing happens. Right. So giving these small phases, these scopes based on importance, single scopes for these teams to zoom in on. There's still a little bit of that too many cooks in the kitchen situation that may happen, but at least they're only looking at the e-commerce shop. At least they're only looking at the marketing side. For example, phases give teams more time to reflect, review, and decide on whether features need to be in the projects at all. Oftentimes, we've experienced this. Oftentimes full phases will be cut from the project. We've built an, you can build an e-commerce shop. Maybe the e-commerce shop is really well SEO'd and they say, We're getting tons of traffic. This was way bigger than we thought. We're actually at capacity. We can't sell anymore. Cut the marketing side. Cut the marketing site right now. We don't need it. We're going to get screwed. Cut cut the marketing side. Perfect. Done. And that would have been work that you would have normally done, probably slowly, for seemingly no reason because the scope was so big. Marketing plus e-commerce, plus this, plus that, plus this, plus that. It's too much. So phases also on top of this give you the ability to properly schedule out work on an in, on these individual scopes, which is a godsend for freelancers who are probably balancing multiple clients. But also in that example, if you think about it, we say, OK, we want to get our e-commerce shop open for Christmas. Perfect. You, know, you do some work, whatever. Deliver it on November 1st. That's That's the goal. OK, perfect. So we go in there, we deliver it. And they say, OK, you know, we'll talk about phase two in January, in the new year. We'll talk about it then. You get a bunch of feedback. You get a bunch of feedback. people are like lo- using this thing if there's any problems, it's only on the e-commerce side. it's not on the marketing side. Things are getting flushed out. things are getting really nicely you know efficient. maybe little bugs are showing up here and there you fix them now this e-commerce machine, if you will, is running perfect now they can decide once again, you know you know should we should we be doing on marketing side, you Now are we at capacity here? maybe just a marketing page instead this time. It gives people the time to really zoom in and look. And these are not on my notes, but I just thought of this. We did this recently with a very, with a recent project. You can get paid in phases. And we started doing this. We did not do this before and we started doing this. And this is, this is actually amazing for us and probably something we should have did a long time ago is because I don't care if you never, and, and like I'm serious, I don't care if you never publish what i made i don't care i'm gonna make it the best i can but it's your business we've had full sites that are created and i'm like hey let me know when you want it to go public never get called now i've been paid that's fine but now instead of me waiting all the way to the end of the project to get paid to send the invoice i can be like i'm gonna build the e-commerce part and that's gonna cost you fifteen hundred dollars whatever it is fifteen hundred dollars i need that and you decide right based on your business i need Half of that up front, part of that up front, need the whole thing up front, whatever, maybe maybe you want to do it right after, but it's still based on the phases. So if they hum and haw and they don't know and they don't have a meeting and they can't they can't touch base and all this you know office politics garbage that happens, don't worry about it. you got paid for making the e-commerce if the marketing phase never gets sorted, oh well, you got paid <laughs> you've been paid for what you did. that's it. And it sucks. Sure. You know, you want to take pride in your work, I understand. But you do need to get paid for that. And you don't want to be waiting, you know, two years. We've had projects that were supposed to be two months, and they got extended to two years. Two years. No, that's it. We charge, you know, up front or in phases, depending on the scope of the project. And then you're you're laughing. Oh, you well, know, like you guys want to spend another three weeks doing something? Don't worry about it. I'm gonna freelance with somebody else. And I'll do I'll do something else. And you know, we'll talk about it later. That's it. Easy. And then you're not sitting there like, oh, my God, these guys owe three grand. What do I do? I need this three grand. They keep calling me every now and then. But if they keep calling you and you've been paid your three grand, it's not that big of a deal. They keep calling you every now and then you're not going to think about it. It's like, oh, whatever. It's way better. Way better.
2: Yeah, for both you and the client, I think. That's the thing. Is like if you're if you're incentivized to complete certain tasks in a certain time frame that are actually doable and they're paying you to do that, you're going to be obviously more incentivized to create a better product and to continue working with them. I think that's where this kind of falls off a cliff is if you don't do something in phases, the relationship between you and the client is going to get strained almost every time because they're paying big bucks, like big money, regardless of what they're paying, but probably to them it's big money to get a product out there. And if you accidentally, you know, don't scope out the project too much, or even if you do scope it out properly and your scope is six months, I can guarantee you there will be a fatigue that sets in four months down the line where they've already paid you, you know, six, five, $6,000 and they don't have a product and nothing to show for it really. Only some, you know, demos that you've given them and stuff like that. The best idea, like the, the best way to retain and, and maintain a relationship is to continually deliver something feasible for a client. So breaking down a project in phases makes it easier to hit the deadlines because the phases are going to be much smaller than a whole six months. Like scoping out a project in a six month time frame is a 100% guaranteed failure in terms of hitting that timeframe. Yep. I can guarantee you it's going to creep up. The, the creep is going to build even more.
1: We've never done it. We've never hit it. Like no, no, no it, one's it, ever done it. Not due to us either.
2: Like it, tw- it's, that's it. I have a Twitter thread with like hundreds and hundreds of replies, like three hundred, over three hundred replies, where literally, I over ninety five percent of those replies are they people that have never scoped a project correctly. So even a smaller scope, yes, you might not scope it correctly, but you're not going to scope it correctly probably by a smaller amount. So maybe a week here and there right? Like, so that's fine. Like that's doable. But if you scope out a six month project with an actual six month load of work that you might miss that deadline by six months. Like that's how crazy it is. The, 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 the estimation problem that happens in software development. So make sure that you can scope out as small phases as you can with an actual deliverable product that benefits the customer and then build on those phases as you go with the same increments, So if your increments are a month long, like, hey, I can build you an MVP that you can have out there, a landing page, so that customers can start seeing your page, so that Google can start indexing your page, so that you can start collecting emails for a newsletter. I can build you that out in a month. Your customer will have actual value from you quickly, and then will be much more forgiving of any sort of delay that happens after that, guaranteed, because they already have a product up in front. Right now, you obviously don't want to get those delays happening consistently, but every once in a while it's going to happen. As long as you have something out there, I guarantee you it's going to be a better relationship. So always work in that mindset that whatever you can do to get something out for the client as quickly as possible. Obviously, like Matt said, one of the most important things is get paid for the phases. Because if you don't, if you're if you're like, I'll do this in six phases, but you only have to pay me on phase six, that's going to be a disaster. You're never oh, going to make it to phase six. You'll never make it to phase six. I can guarantee you 100% you'll never make it there. You're never going to get your money or you're going to you tear a relationship with the client. Get paid in phases for both yours and the client's sake so that you can continue to be motivated to continue working with that client. The great other thing about phases is establishing a good long-term relationship with the client. You only need a few good clients as long as you can continually work for them. And that makes it a lot easier than having to continually search for smaller clients and having to continually like find that sales, the next sale or something like that. Working for a few really good clients and choose your clients wisely when, when you get in that phase uh, is really like a lot less stressful if you're in that freelancing game. So this is a way to again build the relationship, start the relationship, hit your hit your deadlines properly like at least in some in some way shape or form, and establish a long-term relationship and a long-term trust with a client and maybe get better referrals as well because again, you're gonna hit your deadline to a certain degree if you keep your phases small enough
1: and at- the thing, the thing too, with the deadline is is for you, it stings less if if things go a little off track because you're getting paid per phase. And just as a closing note, it's things sting a little less for you because you're getting paid. And things sting a little less for the client because they're like, well, you know, we do have the e-commerce working. We do have this working. We do have that working. You know, the blog's still down. But, like, you're not like, holy God, <laughs> the, the, the e-commerce isn't working. There's no slider. I can't do any blog posts. We got marketing. You know, it's just everyone relax for a second. You know, relax. Things have been paid, things have been done, things are working, some things aren't, but there's something to show for it at the end of the day, is I think the big thing. But I think that concludes this episode. I don't know why it's so so quiet, that was really weird, it felt really, like like the air was cleared and all of a sudden it's like, the episode has concluded.
0: That's it, we're done.
1: Should we do like... Should we do, like, a weird, okay, this is a weird, like, now now we're off topic, but, <laughs> like, Mike and I have been discussing trying to get, like, a new intro done, and I was, I'm, like, trying to determine, because I'm weird, so I want to, like, make a weird intro, to be honest. Not weird, but, like, eccentric, maybe, or, like, something you wouldn't expect, more than just, like, a doo 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 you know, and then, like, a little jingle or something, and then it just cuts in. Like, you know, I I, I made, or I, like, commissioned this intro the way we have it. And this outro to be like hard hitting, you know, kinda like a radio show, whatever. So now it's like time to rebrand, you know, it's been a few years, whatever. And like, should we do something really weird, like like a law and order intro? You know how they do that like in the criminal justice system. But we don't do that, obviously. But we do we do like in the web development system, you know, something weird. I don't know. There was yeah. just the idea popped in my head. I have I have like a fully fledged idea as well. Or, or like a Twilight Zone. Something like that? Right. But I have a fully fledged idea that I don't want to share unless we because if we do it, I think it's going to be hilarious.
2: I think we Everybody. should ask the audience, actually. I think I'm going to make a poll on Twitter about if they want like a silly intro with like a theme or if they want a more like short, but, you know, descriptive intro. I don't know. We can we can think of like three or four different uh, polls, different answers. I'm, I'm curious what people would want because I, I can, I'm kind of into the weird one as well. Cause it's just like something. Cause it's like,
1: I know that people are like, I assume I should say that people are going to vote for like a shorter intro, this and that. But because the intro is very easily skippable, I don't think it's like hurting us, let's say. Cause it's like, it's kind of like our little mark. It's like a, you know, it's a bit of a, you know, it's, it, it, it's not a weird intro. It's a weird intro for a podcast. Like it's not what you'd expect from a tech podcast to have like a hard hitting radio podcast, which I really enjoy. I really enjoy that intro. Like I, we, we commissioned that. And the person and the, the, the recorder delivered like to the T <laughs> exactly what I wrote. And I wrote a big old I- thing. So I have like another one that I have. Like I could write up another whole idea. That'd be interesting. Now I'll do a couple polls and we'll, 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 we'll do it. I don't I don't know if we're going to do the law and order idea. It was just an idea, but I kind of don't like it already. <laughs> Watch. Everyone's gonna be like, yeah, do that one. Do that one. Yeah. Like in the web development system. Like, I don't know what else left of that. That's it.
2: Yep, that's it. That's it. That's, the, that's the whole intro. Doo.
1: We're going to do like the... Is it, is, it, is it supposed to be like a gavel? Like, yeah, duh, so. Like in Law lot order. I don't want to do that because they'll be like, hey, you're copying? And it's like, yeah, I kind of did. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> if you want to support episodes like this and want to support new intros, new intros and new outros like you're about to hear, remember we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash html the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, I wish you can become one if you go on there. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on The Web Hacker.com. Bib dash Media #-9blockmedia, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from Yes Web via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Fire Ant Season via fireandseason.com. And Watoto Coding via Watoto coding. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform that you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off.
0: You've been listening to HTML, all the things podcast, web development, web design and small business we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings and we hope you had some fun we'll be back soon but in the meantime hit us up on social media on facebook instagram and patreon at html all the things and on twitter at html everything until next time this is html all the things signing off Kr yeah.